to Teledyne Advanced Chemistry Systems Tech Talk podcast. Our goal is to bring you useful information and offer solutions for your applications and analytical needs. Teledyne Advanced Chemistry Systems represents a group of companies existing of Teledyne Techmar, Teledyne SeaTech, Teledyne Lehman Lab, and Teledyne Hastings. Welcome to the Tax Talks podcast. I'm Amy Nutter, Technical Product Specialist of the Purge and Trap product line here at Teledyne Techmar. And our guest today is Jamie Brown, who is a senior R&D scientist with Millipore Sigma. His primary role for the past 32 years has been developing products for collecting volatile organic compounds from both air and water. He is the resident expert for the air monitoring thermal desorption, and purge and trap product lines at Millipore Sigma. So welcome, Jamie, and thank you so much for joining me today. Amy, thanks so much for inviting me to do this podcast with you today. Yeah, so so purge and trap, you know, traps are obviously a huge part of this technique. You know, traps are responsible for retaining the VOCs during the purge cycle, releasing them to the GC upon heating. And so once we transfer to the GCMS, those VOCs are getting separated and detected. So by trapping VOCs, it helps create a smaller band of analytes traveling to the GC column producing greater signal-to-noise ratios, lower area-to-height ratios, generating sharper peaks, better sensitivity and resolution is what we get from that. So today we have you, the expert, to tell us how and why all this works. So let's get into it. So how do adsorbents work? Well, you summarized the purge and trap process very well. Hopefully I'll... um describe what's going on behind the scenes inside the trap. But when most people think of adsorbents, I think they think of charcoal. And charcoal is used to purify the air we breathe and uh, the water we drink. And it's typically used to remove or reduce volatile organic compounds that we call VOCs. But for this application, the goal is just to retain VOCs, not to release them. So for this task, charcoal does does that job very well because it can retain a wide range of VOCs. However, when we use adsorbents for purge and trap, the adsorbents need to do more than just retain. The adsorbents need to, you know, need to be strong enough to retain the specific analytes, but it also has to efficiently release them so we can quantify how much of that VOC is contained in the water sample. In this case, charcoal does not work for the entire range of VOCs because it doesn't efficiently release all the VOCs during a desorption step. Some of those compounds are hung up on that charcoal. So because the range of VOCs we need to quantify ranges from compounds that are gas at room temperature, like Freon-12, to those that are a solid, like naphthalene, there's no single adsorbent that can both retain and efficiently release this wide range of compounds. So this requires multiple adsorbents to be packed in the trap. So um, one characteristic associated with adsorbents is its surface area. And surface area provides a general idea of the adsorbent strength, but it doesn't provide the whole picture. Other characteristics such as poor size, poor shape, also plays a role in the adsorbent's ability to retain and release different VOCs. So there is a general rule, the higher the surface area value, the stronger the adsorbent. However, when that surface area value is greater than 800 meters squared per gram, 
the size and shape of the adsorbent pores become more important. So in some cases, the size and shape of the molecule we want to retain plays a role too. For example, methane and chloromethane are small gas molecules. In a purge and trap application, it's difficult to retain methane on a trap because it's so small. We can't concentrate the methane on the purge trap because it breaks through the adsorbent during the 11-minute purge. However, this can easily be accomplished with chloromethane. That's because that large chlorine atom attached to the methane makes this molecule significantly larger, and it will be retained in the micro or meso pores of the adsorbents like carboxin 1000. So, if the adsorbent's too weak, the analyte will break through during sampling, and if the adsorbent is too long, the analyte will, be, will not be released during adsorption. And this is very important for perch and trap because if the VOCs are not released, we can't quantify the concentration in the water oil or soil sample. So that's my long answer on how adsorbents work. <laughs> nice. So how exactly do these VOCs get trapped then by these adsorbents? Hmm. Well, in simplest terms, the VOCs are trapped in, in basically two different ways. The first way, the VOCs are trapped by the pores of the adsorbent. And if they, can, if they contain pores, because some adsorbents don't, the experts in the field of adsorbents have characterized three different ranges of pore size. Macros are the largest size pores, followed by mesopores, and the smallest pores are micropores. An example of these types of adsorbents are what we call carbon molecular sieves, like carboxins and carbosieves. Some adsorbents contain all three types, where some only contain one type of those pore sizes. So for those applications that don't contain any pores, the VOCs are trapped by the adsorbent by a physical attraction of electrons called London dispersion forces. And this physical attraction of electrons is very weak. And because of this, it allows the VOCs to be released during the heating of the trap during desorption. And an example of these types of adsorbents are graphitized carbon blacks like carbopack or carbotraps. So, um, yeah, that's the answer for that. Um, you know, how it's trapped on the adsorbent. Yeah, so I know that most standard methods define the dimension of the trap that they want to use for like standard methods, like we're talking like EPA methods, and I know that our customers use a lot of these standard type methods, as well as they recommend packing materials. Um, so there are multiple packing choices that can be substituted as, as long as they meet analytical requirements for the method. So what adsorbents work best for VOCs and, you know, purge and trap analysis? So um, ultimately for um, a purge and trap application, hydrophobic adsorbents work best since the purge gas is saturated with water vapor. So using hydrophobic adsorbents lessens the problems of sending water vapor to our GC mass spec systems. Too much water vapor being transferred during desorption will cause a change in our split flow ratios, chromatography separation problems, and quenching of our GC detectors. So you know, some other important characteristics. Um, those adsorbents, of course, like I talked about, need to be able to retain and release the compounds of interest. 
Um, they also need to have uh, withstand high temperatures. So for Persian trap, the adsorbent at least has to be stable at 275 degrees to, um, to, to be able to be used in Persian trap. We also want that adsorbent to have low background levels. We also want it to have low metal content. So metals like iron can be a catalyst during the desorption step and break some of our double bond VOCs in the uh, desorption step. And of course, we will like constant mesh sizes and if, if that varies a lot, then that affects back pressure of the trap. And then we want the adsorbents um, to have low shrinkage. Um, porous polymers like 10X can continually shrink with repeated heated cycles, and that can ch um, change back pressure or even uh, affect the uh, packing efficiency of inside the trap. So for, so for Persian trap, um, there, there are, are only about nine different adsorbents currently used. And like you had mentioned, yeah, that's basically because Persian traps um, uh, methods don't change very often. So the 10X is a porous polymer. That's very popular and was um, used in a lot of the early um, developed purge trap. It's very hydrophobic, but it doesn't retain VOC smaller than C5. So that's why it was uh, typically backed up with something like silica gel or charcoal. Uh, silico, silica, silica gel or silicone dioxide is good for water and ammonia and alcohols. But in some cases, the water vapor can displace those VOCs that are weakly retained. Um, it also has a lower um, desorption temperature before we start harming the silica gel. So that's why in most of the, um, the, the data sheets that you get with that, that's the reason why those have a lower desorption temperature. Charcoal is derived from coal, coconut shell, wood, or petroleum, and it can have both micro and mesopores, which makes it good for trapping some of the smaller molecular weight compounds and releasing them, but it won't let the uh, heavier or larger molecular weight compounds efficiently release. Uh, some of the early traps used a material called OV1. That was a silicone uh, coated solid support. It was in the beginning part of the trap, and it was used to retain the higher molecular weight compounds and release those uh, efficiently. Carbopack C for, uh, is for compounds that are uh, liquid at room temperature and has a range of like C12 to C20. So again, I mean, if you want to trap those more volatile compounds, there needs to be an adsorbent that's stronger behind it. Uh, Carbopack B is a little stronger than Carbopack C and slightly stronger than 10X, and it has a range of C5 to C12. Carboxin 1000 is for compounds that are gas at root temperature with the, all those different pore sizes like I talked about. They do a very good job of uh, collecting those, large, those smaller molecular weight compounds. And for uh, carboxin 1000 is a little stronger than carboxin 1000. I'm sorry, carboxin 1001 is a little stronger than carboxin 1000. And we use that in the K trap to retain bromomethane. Carbocib S3 is one of the strongest adsorbent, but it needs to have another adsorbent placed in front of it to, to prevent those larger VOCs from becoming irreversibly absorbed. And it also retains more water vapor than the carboxin adsorbent. So that's why you don't see that used in some of the, the newer types of traps. So what other questions do you have today, Amy? 
Oh, sure. Well, I've heard you mention a few classes of VOCs, like I thought I heard you mention chlorinated, you know, hydrocarbons, alcohols. So for certain classes of VOCs, you know, what trap would I pick and why? Well, that can be a difficult question because adsorbents in the class of VOCs don't have a direct correlation. But I can provide some general recommendations. So for the most part, the aliphatic and aromatic compounds that are a liquid at room temperatures work well with 10x or carbopacks. The lighter, more volatile chlorinated VOCs work well with our carboxins. And for the light aldehydes like formaldehyde, glutaraldehyde, these need to be derivatized because they are so reactive. So that means we really can't even do them by purge and trap. But those larger aldehydes like octanal and nonal work well with 10x and carb carbopacks. So of course the solubility of the alcohol is, or those different alcohols is our biggest cha challenge. So the stronger carbon molecular sieves are needed to concentrate what does purge out of the water. Silica gel also works well for polar compounds, but it also retains 40% of its own weight in water before it becomes saturated. And it's difficult to dry purge this much water off the adsorbent without causing other compounds to break through. This is because the dry purge can push the VOCs of interest off the trap before most of the water is removed. So that's kind of summarized, but um, you know, which classes work with which different adsorbents. Yeah, and I know here at Techmar we we have the number nine trap that we like to use, um, and I know that the you know the K trap is also very similar. So why not just use the number nine or the K trap for every analysis? Are there certain methods, or you know, I know you've probably mentioned different types of VOCs that we've been talking about. Um, you know, you know, what are the other certain methods that we can use different traps for? Yeah, so, you know, for the typical 524 list of compounds, the number 9 or K-trap does work best because it does contain multiple adsorbent beds that are designed for those wide range of VOCs. Um, but if you experience some karyo issue, issues of uh, some late eluders such as naphthalene or 2-methylnaphthalene, a Vocarb 4000 contains a bed of uh, weak carbopac C before the other beds, and that can be more efficient at releasing compounds like naphthalene compared to, to the Vocarb 3000 or the K-trap. Um, However, you know, if the goal is just BTEX and an FID um, detector, not a mass spec, and the samples are preserved in methanol, that's where the BTEX trap comes in. And that BTEX trap works best because the trap is packed with just weak adsorbents, like carbopac C and carbopac B. So they really won't concentrate the methyl, methanol that's purging from the water sample. That methanol is basically breaking through the trap during the purge and dry purge steps. So if you're just, again, looking for the benzene, toluene, ethyl, benzene, and xylene, that trap works best for that application. And number nine in the K-trap is just overkill for that. We'll also, trap, we'll also retain too much methanol, and that will give us problems on our FID uh, analysis because you'll have to deal with that large methanol peak that got concentrated by those stronger adsorbents. And then comes along like the VPH methods that they also um, required 
benzene or uh, pentane and MTBE added to the list of compounds, including the BTEX. So the original BTEX trap doesn't always work well because the pentane and MTBE are kind of basically breaking through those weaker adsorbents and are not retained by the trap. So if you've got that um, need to run the VPH methods, then you need what we call a modified BTEX trap or a BTEX trap plus MTBE because it contains a, a larger bed of carbopac B to retain that pentane in MTBE. However, you also see a little more methanol being transferred to the GC column because the additional amount of carbopac B will retain a little more methanol. So that kind of summarizes the, uh, you know, the, the, where those different traps play a role. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I know that conditioning the trap is very important and making sure temperatures are set correctly based on the material uh, because we don't want to overheat it. We don't want to cause a breakdown of those adsorbents. So do you have any kind of trap troubleshooting or conditioning tips? Well, I do. Um, you know, so... I know it's so hard. You get a good, you get put a trap in, everything's working well. The last thing you want to do is take that trap out and hold it as a reference trap. But um, if you can do that and your um, things are working well, it's always good to have a good reference trap stand in, sitting there to install. To And it can be very helpful in troubleshooting problems. Another um, way of doing some troubleshooting is just actually installing a different type of trap. So if you were, did have a, uh, you know, like a K-trap in there and was having some problems and then you put an older 10X silica gel charcoal trap in, by switching the type of traps, it might be able to help you troubleshoot if it is a trap problem or an active spot in the sample pathway of the instrument. So also, um, kind of keep in mind that the glassware could also need to be replaced. Contaminants from, you know, drinking water that collect in that glass frit can also act like an adsorbent and retain some of those compounds inside the glassware, so therefore they're not even being transferred to the uh, purge trap. So those are, you know, a couple of the high-level ones. Yeah, those are some really good tips. I like those. I'll have to start using some of those. Um, so how do you know when it's time to change the trap? So, um, you know, I, of course, all customers would love traps to last forever, and they don't. Um, but also over time, um, we want to monitor that pressure during the purge and during ba the bake cycles. When these change drastically, it's time to change the purge trap. Um, Non-volatiles can foul a purge trap and they can create artifacts that you'll see in the tick, especially in the later half of the chromatogram. And this can occur if we have foaming samples. So if we've got a lot of, if we're starting to foul the traps, um, we've got to replace them a little sooner. Uh, peak shape of the compounds have changed. That's an indicator that we might need to change the trap. Um, the packing, the integrity of the trap might have uh, been compromised. And then if you're seeing some byproduct peaks, uh, porous polymers such as 10X, um, they'll produce um, acetophenone, phenol, benzaldehyde, and benzene if um, if they've been oxidized during the um, you know had a there was a leak during the uh, conditioning step. So hopefully these uh, provide you some ideas. 
And I'm sure there, you guys have some recommendations to tell your customers as well. Yeah, what we usually tell our customers is, you know, in the TechLink software, you know, they can go into the sample history and when they when they do start to notice that purge and bake pressure, like you mentioned, uh, from sample to sample starting to increase very fast. And that's, you know, when we usually tell them that's a big sign, uh, replace the trap because the sorbent material, you know, has started to break down. Um, but we do also mention, like you said, some of the artifact peaks of benzene or toluene and if they see those in blanks, um, or if they start to notice that two cleave has le- less of a response, um, it's usually when we, you know, try to tell the customers to try a new trap. No, those are good examples too. Yeah. Yeah. So, as a manufacturer, uh, what would you want customers to know about traps or trapping material? Just kind of final thoughts, wrapping it up. What else would you like them to know? Yeah. Well. Um, some are, you know, a couple, couple of these are very basic, but they're pretty important. So it's important the purse traps are installed correctly. And what I mean by that is the inlet and the outlet trap is installed correctly because the traps are packed with absorbance with increasing strength. So if they are installed in the opposite direction, this will make the traps unusable because those larger VOCs are irreversibly absorbed to those absorbents. So after, you know, after we've noticed that and we flipped the trap back, we may not get its performance um, right out of the, you know, back because we've irreversibly absorbed some of our analytes. The other thing, too, is to assure that you use quality gases when running perch traps. And today, with this helium shortage crisis, and we're all running out of helium at times, uh, some people are using nitrogen as a uh, purge gas. Um, it's just so important that we prevent oxygen from entering the trap while the traps are being heated during uh, desorption or during the bake cycle. So oxygen at high temperature causes oxidation of the absorbent in that surface, and that damage is re- irreversible. So, you know, we need to make sure all of our gas connections are leak-free, and then we got, you know, decent quality gas during the process. And it's always a good practice to store your traps with those yellow caps on them to keep contaminants from entering them. We don't want uh, large dust particles and stuff. We never want to store those traps in a drawer that slides back and forth. Um, Over time, this can affect that absorbent packing integrity as that trap sliding back and forth inside the drawer. Um, Those are my, you know, three things that I want to get across to to your uh, audience. Yeah, yeah, I think those are really important, (laughs) definitely really important things. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Jamie. I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot about traps today. Uh, We will include links on our podcast channel under this episode for some other useful information relating to what we covered today. So thanks again for joining us. Amy, thanks again so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure to work with you today. Thanks for listening to the Tax Tech Talk podcast. For more information about our products and the solutions we offer, please visit www.teledyneacs.com. If you like this podcast, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're hearing this show. That way you'll never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time.